start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. It begins in Orlando, Florida and travels steadily to the west, beaming across North America and planet Earth and into your head. The world of safety never stops. And now, the Safety FM podcast and broadcast with Dr. Jay Allen. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of The Jay Allen Show. Today's Tuesday, June the 9th. I hope everything's going well in your neck of the woods with everything going on in this world currently. Got a lot going on today, so I don't want to take up too much time here at the beginning and let us get it started with our conversation that we had today with Joseph Kaufman. The name of Joseph Kaufman should sound familiar, but if you're not familiar with him, let me kind of give you a brief bio on him. Joseph is a graduate of Columbia Southern University with a BS in Occupational Health and Safety. Joseph has worked as an emergency responder. He has been a safety professional for over 15 years. In the course of that career, Joseph has won the National Safety Council Rising Star of Safety Award back in 2017. So without further ado, let's not take too long and let's get you started with our interview today with Joseph Kaufman. Joseph, welcome to the show. So how are you? Yeah, things are going pretty good. Um, you know, beautiful day here in New Jersey, just uh, trying to uh, plug along, you know, in the new uh, new world. In the, in the new norm, as they like yeah, to say. Yeah, Absolutely. So I'm going to torture you with some of the some of these things I'm going to go through. I'll I'll try to give the explanation. I don't normally do any kind of introductions right now. When I go back and do the editing, I'll go ahead and do the introduction there. Okay. So yeah. Just so you're aware, if we were doing it live, I would have all kinds of weird sound effects and all that kind of fun stuff. So I won't bore you with that. Yeah, when I was listening, I was like, man, this guy knows how my mind works at times. <laughs> So I, I have to tell you, I was kind of hanging out on LinkedIn and I found some older stuff about you. And yep. then I was like, then I found some newer stuff and I was like, we have to have you on. So that's how the invite came about. So, so I, I, normally, I normally like to ask people the standard question that's probably going to be the most obvious out of all of them. How sure. did the whole thing with safety start? Well, I, you know, I really bring it back to, um, you know, when I grew up, you know, I know I've told the story before that, you know, my, my father, uh, 
you know, before I was probably six, got hurt in a uh, work-related accident, uh, hurt his back, had, you know, six, seven back surgeries, um, never went back to that job, really reinvented himself after that. Um, you know, and later in life, you know, my, uh, my wife, uh, you know, her father is a Vietnam veteran, um, you know, and he was exposed to Agent Orange. And so, you know, it really taught me a lot of lessons about, you know, how these work injuries can kind of, you know, carry and stay with you for a long time. And, and, you know, um, I, I think that's the approach I try to take in safety. I know how my own personal, uh, life was changed from some of these things. And so I want to make sure that I, uh, you know, I try to help as many people as I can. So when you started off and this was something that occurred at a very young age, did you already kind of have a, an idea on what it was going to look like that you were going to do moving forward? Did you look at it and go, okay, I know I want to go into X already knowing what X was? No, I had no idea actually. And so, um, you know, Early on, um, when I turned 16, I joined a local uh, volunteer rescue squad, you know, and that was very good for me. And, and I, you know, became a line officer there. And, you know, I ran a lot of calls and I really thought, well, this is the direction I'm going in, you know. And, and eventually, um, you know, I decided I had an offer at a manufacturing facility that, that paid a lot. And being a young guy, you know, and just getting started, that seemed like where I wanted to go. Um <laughs> You know, and so then I went into the, you know, the manufacturing world and I really kept this uh, safety response, you know, and, and I'll say that, you know, in my life, uh, safety response was something happens, you respond to it. You know what I mean? And, and I didn't really dawn on me at the time that safety wasn't really that right. That That's emergency response. And so um, I always pictured safety as something happens, you respond to it in the beginning, you know, and so I, I really didn't understand the concept of safety when I was young and just starting out other than again, going back to the root thing, which is I wanted to help people, you know? So as you look at it, do you go, most people don't really want to get anything involved with safety until something catastrophic happens or something, a major crisis inside of their life for the most part. Is that how you, how you visualize it? Not from like a safety perspective, but when you started looking down the path and of course this is past tense almost, because I'm not asking for future crystal ball. We'll get to those questions later, of course. Yeah, I think that, you know, you have two different types of safety people. You know, you have the types that are analytical in their thought approach and they're able to get subject matter and sort of, uh, you know, apply that in any sort of analytical and quality approach. And then you have those who sort of have this keen sense of, you know, what is going on at, at the plant and then they want to apply, you know, their rules to it. I think that we all meet in the middle, um, you know, and, and that that's, that's kind of how I approach it. I don't know that anybody is, is sitting there going, I want to be a safety manager. You know, I think that it's sort of a lot of things that, that people stumble into. Although I think with, you know, a lot of these degrees and things like that that have come out, it's made it a lot easier for people to sort of go right into the field instead of being the person that has 20 years experience and just is the safety guy. Right. Well, I mean, and that's the interesting part because there are a lot of degrees coming out now that you could actually put into the safety world. Now I have not, I mean, personally, I have not seen a lot of, safety degrees that kind of go into the corporate world, if that makes sense, where there is like a C-suite level, if if that makes sense. So, uh, it, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, and I think that that becomes one of those interesting and difficult parts to an extent, and I would love to get your opinion on it, where when you go into the C-suite or if you have the opportunity, people want you to actually establish yourself before you're able to enter in. What is your thought behind that? Do you think that people should come up through like operations or manufacturing or something that's not safety before they can go into the C-suite level from a safety perspective, or what's your thoughts? You know, I, I think number one, if I review in, in my own personal career, you know, one of the things that I 
really became a factor was I had to mature myself as an adult, right? Because I think that if we can go into these situations and, and collaborate in a lot of different ways, um, safety is just sort of an offshoot of when I was a manufacturing, uh, you know, production supervisor um, and, and things like that. You know, you are looking to solve a problem when you're a manufacturing person. Your problem is you need to keep your manufacturing going. Um, safety, you know, if you have an injury or you have a problem there, you know, it's, it's again, assess what you have and, and try to fix it. And so, you know, I, I think experience is good because I think when we all get into safety in the very beginning, we sometimes have this grandiose view of, of how uh, easy it's going to be to elicit change. And, and sometimes we realize, you know, I think, you know, certainly at your level, you realize it, it isn't that. And I think I have also realized that, but I think that it also teaches you different ways to do things and you really become better again, to get to your point about the C-suite, it, it makes you a better person overall from the grand company perspective. Now, as you take a look at the approach that you did, so you went in, you, you got to college, you decided to go down the business, uh, going into the business section before you start going into the safety side. Now, if you had a new safety professional or someone who was interested in safety, would you say that's the route that they should go? That's tough to say. I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you, Jay, if I'm being honest about my career, I think I did everything the hard way. You know, I didn't, I did not. I didn't go to college, you know, right off the bat. And so I got that manufacturing job. And as we talked about, my sole view was money. Right. And, you know, even in high school, I wanted to get by, you know, I didn't want to do well. I didn't want to excel. And so then I got into college, you know, and I, I did want to do well. And I found that, you know, at every level since then, it's mattered more to me to put my best self out there. You know, I think that the thing is, you know, people have to understand that, that having a degree and coming out of school isn't, you know, it isn't a green light to give you that that job, right? You have to have other intangibles, such as, you know, being able to communicate, being able to team build and, and things like that. So I, I don't think that you need a safety degree to be a safety person. I just think you need the right person to take you along. Um, you know, and I, I think that I myself have, as I've grown through my career, some of those people that have helped take me along and bring me up haven't been safety people. It's just been people that get you to look at things in a different way. This is The Jay Allen Show. Hey, Jay. Just wanted to tell you, I have a new book, and it seems kind of timely. Although I didn't write it for a global pandemic, and by the way, this is my first one, it seems to have lots of legs on this topic. The book's called When the Worst Accident Happens, and it's a field guide to understanding how to begin a restorative process of responding to a horrible event. That book is available now on Amazon. I think you'd like it. Tell all your friends. The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on safetyfm.live. And we are back on the Jay Allen Show on Safety FM. I think it's interesting a couple of things that you said there, because as I take a look at your career, and I, of course, you have to, we have to do search online and try to find things to that extent. You went from not caring and trying to excel based on what you just said, of course, to all of a sudden when you decide to go to get your safety degree, you graduate cum laude. I mean, so you definitely change your mental model on excelling for sure. 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 I mean, it felt like, you know, when I saw the safety opportunity, um, that was the brass ring, so to speak. Right. That was something I thought, wow, I really didn't know this was a thing and, and I want to do well in it, you know, and, and it really um, 
it really was support of a lot of people around me that thought, you know, you know what, you've always driven yourself to uh, do the best you can at work. And, you know, at, at the time I was doing a physical labor production job, even as a supervisor. And, you know, I just didn't think that, you know, that was ultimately the best thing I could do. You know what I mean? I knew I had more in me. And so um, I was fortunate to be able to get into a position that they couldn't fill, you know, early as an occupational health specialist. And, you know, it allowed me to be an EMT. And it also allowed me to experience the world of safety and emergency response. And, you know, um, I think those of us who have done safety, uh, you know, I'm sorry, emergency response, you know, um, will tell you that the the adrenaline rush is something you really uh, like. Um, and so, you know, a few years in, you know, into that, I started to ask for career advice, you know, because I had taken classes, you know, at, at Georgia Tech and I had done some other things. And I, I was trying to figure out what does that next level look like, you know, and I remember getting the advice that, you know, you need to put the radio down. And what the person simply meant by that was, you know, it's not safety response, right? It, it, it's how do you fix a safety problem? And you have to be analytical and think about it and, you know, collaborate and things like that. And for me, that made sense. Um, you know, although I will tell you for me, and I'm sure for others, it's hard at times to do that. So that would be the the next question, of course. How was the difficulty of doing that? Because if you're going to all of a sudden that you're so used to, we'll say the firefighting aspect of it, where you're running in, you're trying to solve problems instead of actually kind of trying to build out the structure to it. How did you how did you go through adjusting to that? Was it a difficult thing to do or how did it come about for you? Yeah, I think it was a difficult thing to do. Um, and, and again, I look at my career sort of over different levels of, of maturity, you know, and so um, initially that side of the non-response, right? The the other part of it, the business end of it, we'll say, didn't initially make sense to me. But then, you know, the just because I think I know doesn't mean I'm going to get my way didn't work anymore, right? You know, and all of a sudden I realized, you know, you had to have uh, good communication. You had to sort of, you know, bring people to where you're at. And, you know, you also had to meet people where they are and, 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 you know, and all those sort of cliche statements. But at the same time, you know, your, your, you know, manufacturing manager or your engineering manager, they don't necessarily always see it the same way you do. And so unless you look to uh, partner with these people and really bring them into the solution, you know, it's a challenge, you know, and, and, and I think that, um, even for me, it was it was a different mindset. And so, yeah, I think in the beginning it was. I think now, um, you know, sometimes when I'm trying to explain safety to people, um, you know, I really think sometimes I have to oversimplify it because, you know, people are always trying to ask you, know, well, what is it that you really do? You know, so. Well, you, you sell the intangible, what they can't touch, feel or look at. That's, that's what you do. You're an evangelist. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. That is awesome. <laughs> so when you take a look at this whole thing. How did you have people buy into what you had? How did you get to these partnerships? And, I, and when I start addressing these questions, I'm really looking to be able to be able to give some of our, our listeners, you know, some different perspectives on things that have worked for other people that they might be able to use at their current organization. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I would say that early in my safety career, you know, I was fortunate because I had been a production person there for many years. And so they all knew who I was. And so you know, many of them knew you know, I had a good heart, um, you know, when it didn't, didn't continue that I could go up in the level I wanted to be at there, that became, um, you know, more difficult, I would say, right? Because I no longer had that, you've known these people for 10 years, so, you know, easy to fall back on. And so, um, 
I think relationship building and um, trying to learn about safety problems, you know, and, and I agree. And I, you know, preface this with, you know, obviously the, the very dangerous stuff you need to handle right away. But you also need to learn sort of what is all leading to, you know, the issues. And, and many times you solely trying to figure that problem out is the wrong approach because you don't always know why people are doing what they're doing. And I think it's important to build those relationships so that they feel comfortable speaking with you. Um, and at that point, you know, you now are working as a team, uh, you know, you're, you want to uh, be able to show people um, that a lot of this isn't punitive. It's, it's for the purpose of bettering us all, um, you know, and on a higher level, when I'm trying to explain it to managers and supervisors, you know, I'm always just explaining to people that, you know, hurting people is bad business. It doesn't need to be an OSHA law. It doesn't need to be a <laughs> workers comp law. You know, we lose money every time we do that. And, and, you know, I know that that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, businesses that don't make money and you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're not doing anything and, and you're out of a job. So we have to look at it as on one side is a business and on the other side is we have to protect our people and, you know, protecting our people is good business. Right. I mean, getting in a whole bunch of cash in the front door, but bleeding it through the back end is not going to do any kind of solving or any kind of solutions for most businesses, as you fully are aware. So I see that you were at one particular organization for quite a while. And that's where the shift occurred. So you were on the operation side, then you go into the safety side. How does that crossing, the, we'll say crossing the line, go for you? How, do the people have the buy-in right away? Do they buy into to your methodology of what you're, what you're trying to do from the safety standpoint going forward as you do the, from operations to the safety side? I think that, you know, on face value, yes, obviously it's, it's easier for me to have made that transition than someone walking in the door. Um, you know, I will say that, you know, I've also had that, you know, we'll say in charge approach because I was, you know, leader of the emergency response team. So I knew what it meant to be in charge. And I also sort of understood the safety side of it. Now that didn't always mean that, you know, my passion triggered immediate change and, you know, we would just run with whatever I said. Um, and for me, I, I think that was, you know, um, a challenge because, like, as I said, the things I needed in manufacturing and, and you know, those communication skills and the, the things we were trying to convey there at times were different than the ones that we were trying to convey on the safety end of things. And so, you know, I, I think that it, it is it is a transition for anybody coming out of it because it's not the same role. But at the same time, you know, you need to rely on the, the uh, communication skills that you've built these relationships with, because at times, you know, if people know your heart or they know, you know, where you're coming from, it's not as big a challenge when you say something, you know, that, that may create difficulties such as, you know, Hey, my one goal at one time was to make production goals, right? All of a sudden now my goal is to protect people. Well, that may, that may interfere with those production goals I once had, you know, <laughs> that's a normally an interesting conversation, especially when you have to bring that up the first time. Because how do they look at you? How do they how do they communicate? How are they okay with what you're saying now? Not that I'm saying you were trying to get anybody injured in the first place, because I know sometimes people get very very thrown off when I ask that question. But it's really that first approach, and when it's changing, on how do people buy in? They go, "Well, we knew you before. That's not how you were. And now you've changed. Did you get yeah, any of that? I don't. So for me, I don't think I changed what my mental process was in that again i go back to the root which is i always wanted to protect people that's just who i was as a person and so for me um you know it, it didn't change much i as a you know as a manufacturing i would always try to make sure everybody was wearing their ppe i would walk around we would make sure that if we had unsafe situations you know we would shut down and so you know i i think that you know 
those things need to be instilled, not just as your safety person, but they need to be instilled, instilled as a as an organization because people need to feel empowered to make these choices when sometimes your safety people aren't around um, or they need that decision needs to be made quickly, you know? So as you look at this things moving forward, all of a sudden you're at this organization for a long period of time. You decide to change to a different organization. You're there for a couple of years. You go from a safety manager. You move up into a director position. Then you move into this other company, but at the same time that you're at this other company, or shortly thereafter, the National Safety Council all of a sudden presents you with the 2017 Rising Stars of Safety. How does this come about? Well, you know, I really had a lot of success, you know, at that first uh, job that you spoke about when becoming a director, you know, and it really was relying on communicating with people, explaining to people what my role was and, you know, how we were trying to help them, what the things were that we were seeing. And so I, I began to have success there in terms of, you know, lowering the injury rate and things like that. Um, you know, and so that second position, um, I always talk about with people, you know, timing, right. And sometimes timing is everything. Um, and at that position I was driving, uh, for those of the folks that are in Philadelphia, I was driving the Schuylkill Expressway for nearly the entire length every day, uh, which meant I didn't really exceed 10 miles an hour for half the time. And, you know, I had a long commute and, you know, this company came to me and, and, uh, you know, it was a recruiter and it just ended up working out. And so I started to apply the same type of methodology there and there, um, we were having fleet safety issues, you know, there was, there was motor vehicle accidents. There was, uh, an, a, a culture of speed, um, and, and really, um, nobody to enforce that. And so that became a much more difficult um, conversation because, you know, unlike some other organizations, you know, they were built on trying to get as much done as they could. Um, and that didn't always include doing it, you know, at the correct speed or, uh, you know, we'll say in the uh, safest manner. And so um, I started to approach it differently, right, in that we were operating in many different states um, we had different offices, we had different divisions. And so I thought the tools that they were using to monitor this, right, you know, the monitoring your speed or the monitoring your acceleration and, and all this stuff, it was not a good way to do it to make it punitive, right? But people love to compete with each other, you know what I mean? And so I made it a competition of how good can you drive, you know what I mean? And basically, we began to have conversations with folks, you know, whether it was our, you know, safety meetings or, you know, and all that. And we began to develop, uh, you know, champions that we needed to walk the walk in those particular instances. And what we started to find was, you know, the average speeds were dropping, you know, the, the, the speeding violations were dropping, the, the aggressive stops and starts, they, they were going down. And so, you know, it began to become this ripple effect where all of a sudden you were having significantly less, you know, auto claims and at the same time, Again, I think you always have to show people who you are. The drivers started to realize that, you know, I wasn't the safety cop, right? My job was to to show them that there's a way to do it and that, you know, in the whole scheme of things, you know, doing 20 miles an hour over the speed limit for, you know, 10 minutes doesn't get you a whole lot. You know what I mean? And, and we tried to start to explain that to them. And, you know, I, I think I was lucky to get a lot of buy-in on that. And so I credit the people that were around me that to kind of help improve those safety scores, which, you know, they, they improved, you know, I think that we were at one point in the eighties and they went all the way up to about a 97. And so that was, that was a key, uh, you know, thing for me. I, I felt like, you know, I, I had arrived, so to speak at that point. 
So how did the National Safety Council find out about that this was something that you were implementing? So, uh, you know, my supervisor was the vice president of uh, human resources. Um, actually, he was a former safety guy, which was, uh, you know, it was fun because, you know, you had somebody to bounce things off of. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know that everybody's always lucky enough to have somebody that, that has sort of walked in their shoes that you report to. But I was. And, you know, he... Um, one of the things we did was we became members of the National Safety Council at that organization. And then from there, um, you know, he found out about the award. You know, he nominated me and, and I was selected. And, you know, it was a great group of people um, to be selected. And, and, and I mean, I, I can't tell you, you know, my response was, uh, you know, quite frankly, I, I broke into tears because I didn't really know uh, what impact I made up till that point. You know, this is the Jay Allen Show. University, we cut the bullshit out of human and organizational performance training. We were born out of necessity. We hear it all the time. Human and organizational performance courses are expensive and hard to find. Safety classes put me to sleep. Help. So we did. We offer on-demand, high-quality online courses in human and organizational performance, safety, and leadership, all led by seasoned safety and hot practitioners. No need to schedule time for that conference. No need to track down the latest guru. And no stuffy classroom required. Join us today at hopuniversity.org. That's H-O-P university.org. Have we told you? Do you know about this? We are looking for the next big safety podcast. This is the contest. Oh, yes, the contest. After producing and creating and interacting with several different artists, podcasters, and broadcasters, we want to offer to you the possibility of becoming the next big safety podcast. Podcast. So what do you need to do? Right now, if you go to safetyfm.com forward slash contest, that's safetyfm.com forward slash contest you have the possibility of being the next big safety podcast you and your show could come onto the safety fm network for the next year we will host your podcast on our servers we will give you access to the safety fm broadcast network and of course access to the safety fm listeners come by to the website to enter that's safetyfm.com forward slash contest you can enter in daily this contest is only valid for the united states of america please look at contest rules on the website and we are back on the jay allen show on safety fm yeah i mean it's it's an amazing accomplishment especially when you know uh your peers recognize some of the things that you're doing and especially to, to do it. It's with such high esteem that they decided to move forward and have you recognize on a national platform. Yeah. And like I said, I, I think that, you know, when I look at it, I look at it as, you know, I always start to hear the stuff and, and the people with great content, you know, on LinkedIn, you, you hear these people and it's like, man, we could probably award half of these folks awards. Cause I mean, everybody's great, you know? And I think that, you know, my, my, my feeling was, you know, this was one small section of something that really worked well, you know, and I had to learn from it. And, and I think that that has carried me forward probably more than anything at this sort of this next level of safety that, you know, I, I made a plan. I communicated it. I made sure it wasn't punitive. I made sure that our approach was um, rewarding people. If we had to coach people, we did. But it wasn't, you know, we, we weren't, you know, bringing them in and, and putting them in front of their supervisor and yelling and screaming at them. You know, it was 
here's what happened. You know, we got a heartbreak alert. Can you tell me what happened at that time? And, you know, that those were the types of things that, you know, you would find out, oh, well, you know, yes, you had a heartbreak alert, but, you know, somebody ran a red light right in front of me and I, I avoided it, you know. And so that that's the type of stuff that, you know, if you just immediately go after these alerts and you don't try to find out the whole story, sometimes, you know, you're not getting the big picture. So a couple of questions out of there then. Number one, was the organization, did it have any kind of tie into DOT? So did they have to meet DOT regulations? And then number two, the system that you actually put in, was it camera based or was it just more of a vehicle tracking? So, you know, we were, you know, under DOT, you know, we, we, not everybody obviously was CDL based, but as you know, weight, weight based also plays a factor. And, uh, you know, we had folks that needed medical cards and things like that. Um, we did begin to pilot camera programs, um, you know, and, and personally, well, you know, everybody, lo- everybody loves a good camera. I can tell you from from practice, everybody loves a good camera, especially right next to them the whole time. I well, think joke, of course. Oh, I always say to people that, you know, that the safety story is, you know, uh, the first question you need to ask about any, any incident is, do you have a camera? And not not necessarily because you want to use it against them. But boy, sometimes they tell stories that even both sides of that story are completely unaware of, you know, and, and that's that's the the key to it. But yeah, no, we, we, we did pilot a camera program. We were using the telematics on there. And so, um, you know, the telematics was able to produce scores and even with the absence of cameras, you know, we were able to at times be able to tell what was going on, what wasn't going on. And, you know, like I said, the cameras to me, I think from a risk and safety perspective are, are, are critical for those that have fleets that, you know, really can uh, incur, you know, significant losses. You know, it doesn't, doesn't take, a huge accident with, you know, a fatality to all of a sudden lead up to a major event. You know, you could have five people in a, you know, in a vehicle that you hit and next thing you know, all five of them are, are you know, claiming against you. So. No, yeah, I mean, it, it can change things relatively quick. So I have to ask, so you pr- do this particular program. It seems like it's pretty successful. You get nationally awarded. Then you decide to move to another organization. Do you bring in, this program that you had used previously as part of you getting in there or or what ends up making your mind up that you want to change? So this actually, uh, you know, we talked about switching teams from manufacturing to safety and and this role um, was unique because they were basically looking to liaise um, medical uh, occupational health care as a healthcare system with employers and what they needed. And so, um, because I began my career in occupational health, sort of the safety aspect of it, I was very aware of, you know, compensability, recordability, safety, and all that. And at the same time, um, you know, I had had success with working with the occupational health providers. I had built occupational health programs at at many of those companies in different states. And so um, I I considered myself fortunate because I met with a lot of good doctors and, and clinics and things like that. I you know, I believe, you know, as a safety person, if you're not talking to your occupational health people, um, they're trying to figure out what you want as opposed to, um, you know, really coming up with a, a collaborative solution. Well, as if people are always looking for the secret sauce, what would you say your secret is for you to being successful to make it to the level that you've made it to so far in your career? I th- I find that to be a, a tough question, but, you know, I think that... That's why I asked. That's why I asked. I yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, when I when I think about it, you know, it, it, it my motivation level changed at every 
single aspect of my life. And so, you know, I look at the different things that have gone on. And like I said, at first, you know, I was the job I was doing at manufacturing was night work. Right. And I worked my way into being a supervisor. Hey, got some day work out of that. You know, when I became safety, I had straight day work, you know, and then I, I, I have motivated myself. Well, I really like safety. I want to do more, you know? And, and so I, you know, it's things like my family that supports me. It's things like, you know, uh, the awards that, that, that I will say at, you know, at times they can really help bring you up when you don't necessarily feel like, you know, you're doing as well. And I mean, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, I, I love going on LinkedIn and listening to people who want to motivate you. I mean, there's, there's people that, you know, I've met, you know, along the way, uh, you listen to their stories and you're like, man, I want to run through a wall, you know, and that, that's, I think that's the aspect that I, I try to take. I, I find myself, um, having been in manufacturing, having been an EMT and a responder, um, I want to win, you know what I mean? And that's, that's just my approach. I always want to win. And I think I have to caveat that with, you're going to lose sometimes, you know And I mean? I think that's, uh, you know, you can't always think you're always going to win. Well, let's talk about some of that right there. And let's kind of unpack some of your answer. You made a couple of references there. Number one, you said the importance of your family. And then number two, you made reference that, you know, you're not always successful in the things that you're doing. You're an award-winning National Safety Council rising star. So most people would look at how could this be possible? Could you go a little bit deeper there if you don't mind in regards of letting people know that it, you still do fail even at these different levels? Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, it's fair. And I think, um, you know, I think successes or, or big successes, they're, you know, they're hard to come by. You know, when I, and I, I mean that by award winning successes, um, you know, I, I think that you have to take any small win you can get. And I think you have to know when to pick your battles. And so, um, whether it is, you know, you find a, a, a great piece of safety equipment that somebody doesn't want to pay for, um, and they don't see the, 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 the merit of it, or, you know, you're sort of being run over by, you know, plant management. I, I think that, you know, you always need to be aware where, where is your line? You know what I mean? And I, I can think, you know, one person I, I heard um, speak about this was, was Jill James. Um, you know, and I, I think that when I heard her give a list and I mean, I, the list I wrote down on a podcast at one time and, you know, I wrote the three things down and I went, and I, you know, this is three things uh, and they were deal breakers. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to move on at that point. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say what place that was, but to me, it's like, you have to know what your breaking point is. Right. And if you get to a point where you're at that point, you know, then you need to consider moving on. You can't, you can't sell yourself out for, um, for anybody, you know, there, there's a, there's an ethics to what we do as safety professionals. And, you know, and I think that we have to be true to ourselves um, and like I said, going back to just sort of who I am, I always try to be true to my people. So would you say to an extent when you put your ethics in place, there's a hard line in the sand where you have to make the decision from there? Um, I think that as I've gotten older, the line moves at times. So I think, you know, when you first get into safety, there are times where you're going to you're, you're going to encounter these things and, and you have to decide is this the mountain I want to die on? You know what I mean? Because there are times, especially um, depending on what level you're at, and I'm sure you would agree that, you know, you'll, you'll lose at times, you know, and if you, if everything you feel is a loss, you know, you're never going to really appreciate the wins, you know? And so that, that I think is to me, it's important to, um, you know, to just really have 
tempered expectations. You're there to make change. You're not always there to change the world in three months, you know? Well, I mean, I think that sometimes some of us safety professionals believe that we're going to walk in, we're going to change everything in a moment's notice, not realizing that there's sometimes tons of work that needs to be put into place before you can even have the buy-in from the people that are there. So with the success that you've had with people buying in, what would you tell a brand new safety professional on what they should do when they start in at a new organization? Um, I think they should learn. I mean, and I mean, I know that's a broad statement, but I mean, they, they, they need to meet people. They need to talk to people. They need to, to really get a sense of what is going on. I mean, the reality is, you know, and I've said this before, but I go, I tell people, you know, I actually was talking to somebody who was getting into safety and they said to me, what advice can you give me? And I said, they're not hiring you because they don't need you. You know what I mean? If they, they would, they wouldn't do that. So they're bringing you in because there's problems to be fixed. And so I think you have to recognize that as the bar, right? If you go in and there's problems and you are trying to contribute to better those problems and those problems still exist, um, that's not a failure on your part. You know, you need to continue to work on it. It's when, those problems are exacerbated by choices that you've made that, that you need to then consider whether or not you're being effective. And that, that, you know, I, I know it's kind of hard to unpack that, but I think that you need to, you know, understand that again, you're not always going to be successful. And so the longevity of it is, is really starting to understand what is it about my approach that wasn't successful? Did I not explain it? Well, um, is it a money related thing? Um, you know, is, is there a piece of this that they have in their head that you didn't touch on and they didn't know and, and you're just not communicating well? Um, you always have to try to understand. So how much has business changed for you since COVID-19 has presented itself? So, you know, my world right now is, is again, I'm sort of the liaison between companies in South Jersey and, uh, you know, a healthcare system in which we provide occupational healthcare. Um, when COVID-19 hit, um, many, many businesses um, experienced significant changes. And, you know, we were one of them because, you know, we went from seeing, you know, a certain amount of patients a day to probably a 90% drop, you know, and, and then, um, you know, I, I think vividly as to what that looked like. You know, I remember um, it was Friday the 13th and you know, in March and I got a notification. My kids were not going to be going back to school as of that Monday. Um, and I just thought to myself, well, I wonder what this means. You know what I mean? And by the next, by that Monday, you know, we were working on a COVID response chip, you know, plan as an organization, um, sort of in the ambulatory world, right? Meaning, you know, meaning not in the hospital, obviously they had their own plans. And so, um, I thought to myself, you know, you have to be adaptive, right? You have to see what the next thing is going to be to help companies, you know, and I don't mean it in a business standpoint, but I just said to myself, all right, well, you know, we got businesses closing. Where are people going to need help? You know, what aren't they going, what aren't they going to understand? And in this case, I did not know enough about COVID-19 myself um, to really uh, have a good answer. So I, I, we immediately began to think we're going to need to be able to help companies with fitness for duty return to work and also, you know, work-related COVID exposures. And, and that is a, uh, is a niche that I think that, you know, we hit on. Um, and, and I think that, you know, we have been able to help companies, um, you know, 
sort of across the, the South Jersey region and uh, help people continue to operate, you know, without sort of overreacting um, and shutting everything down. And at the same time, making sure that we're, we're giving people the right message and making sure that we're keeping uh, folks informed as to what these return to work, you know, criteria are from the CDC, which um, I'm sure you followed has changed, you know, a couple times. And, you know, for us, it's, it's constant messaging and talking to people. Um, and, and the big joke became, you know, that we felt like we were doing four times the work for half the business. But at some point, um, you know, COVID-19 became such a thing that, that, you know, it was no longer half the business. It was, you know, significantly more business than we had been doing. And so it became important to, in my opinion, make sure that we were giving every single company its own unique experience, right? You can't, you can't, it's not, no, no one safety program works, no one occupational health program works. And so, we uh, have made it a point to really understand what that company is looking for um, and, and take their approach, you know, be it they want people quarantined. Sometimes, as I'm sure you know, some essential workers can continue to work while they're waiting for results and things like that. So, um, uh, again, I, I will tell people um, you need to be able to read what your risk is. Um, you need to be able to understand how things are changing in front of you um, and you can't sit on your hands when that's happening. And then you also need to understand where your people are and try to meet them there. And so for us, uh, I think that we knew that our clients were going to need us. This is The Jay Allen Show. Thank you for listening to Safety FM. We are here to help you in this time of need. Make sure to join us on Patreon forward slash Safety FM. Enjoy the best safety shows on the planet on safetyfm.com. And we are back on the Jay Allen Show on Safety FM. So as you, as you take a look at it, where do you get a lot of your source information from when you're seeing all these things that are changing? Do you, are you mostly through the CDC or where are you, is there any additional places that you would recommend for the audience? So, you know, we of course, have it, of course, to be open to the public. Let's yeah, sure right. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I would tell you that, you know, we have a service that is a service that directs folks to, um, you know, travel medicine, I would say. So meaning you you want to take a vacation, you're going to go to, you know, Costa Rica, here are the vaccines that you need. But that service became very, very helpful because that service was able to start to say, here are the trends, here's what they're seeing, here's what they're recommending. And so, um, we began to get those reports every day. And, you know, that was one way of it. Obviously we also had an operations center that also was able to update what is happening in South Jersey as opposed to every um, other location. Um, You know, I was, I stayed up on OSHA's guidance, just trying to understand that, you know, I think that one of the things that's recently come out and, you know, this is, this is new, but it's something I think that many companies can use is, you know, National Safety Council just came out with that uh, safer program. I don't know if you've got a chance to take a look at that, but man, it it covers a lot of ground and it covers a lot of ground in a way that somebody could say, well, here's my type of business and I'm going to use these checklists to apply things. Now, Joseph, do you see us going back to what we considered the norm before all this happened? And of course, that's an opinion question. So I don't want anybody to come back and be like, Joseph Kaufman said no. So I mean, I just want to make sure that that we follow along, that it is an opinion question. Sure. Yeah. And I would say, you know, just to clarify, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, my opinion is that 
you know, if I'm assessing the risk out there, I think that for, for now, you know, we're going to continue to encounter this. And I think that, you know, it depends where your listeners are at. You know, I, I, I caution people to, to think about that a little bit and understand that, you know, New Jersey, you know, it's the second highest total in the entire country. For us, it's different than, you know, other states who haven't had that kind of impact. You know, I think that when I look at it, you know, and I go and say to myself, you know, I always washed my hands and, you know, I always made sure I was careful. And now I think about it and review and I, I don't think I did a good enough job. And I think that if we all take a self-assessment of the things that we did, right, you know, I saw a, a meme on, on Facebook that just said something as simple as, remember when we used to blow on our birthday candles onto a cake or something? <laughs> and I'm thinking like, wow, that seems so simple. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know what you do now. And, and I would tell you that, you know, I've always been a handshaker, you know what I mean? And, and I don't, I find myself not knowing what to do. You know what I mean? I, it, it's just such a, a different world for me. And, and, you know, I, I think that we will get back to a sense of normalcy, but it may not be what we had, you know, before that. And I, and I think that you bring up some excellent points there that people really need to look at where it's actually based on where they're at. Cause I think that sometimes we tend to forget that because you might be in the middle of America and it might be an entirely different world than what it is in New Jersey. I'm here in Florida where it could be much different depending even just in the county that you're in. I mean, of course, being so close to good old Disney here, it's a world of difference when Disney closes down compared to the, to the rest of the world. So Joseph, if more people want to know more about you, where can they go to get some more information? Uh, usually they can visit my LinkedIn page. I stay fairly active uh, on there. Um, always welcome to contact me. Um, you don't have to be South Jersey. Um, you don't necessarily, you know, I mean, I'm more than willing to have a dialogue, you know, and I, and I think I do try to stay active and I try to give my opinions and, you know, some people agree with them as I'm sure you know, and some people do not. Right. And I think that that's what makes us great uh, as safety folks you know don't eat your young but listen to all the opinions and try to form your own yeah i definitely think that there's always room for conversation not one method will work for everything and for everyone for sure completely agree yeah well joseph i appreciate you coming on to the show today well i greatly appreciate you having me and i uh, i look forward to listening to you some more i love how in depth joseph went in regards of his career and how he referenced just because he is an award-winning Rising star recipient does not mean he does not have his moments of doubt. I truly appreciate him coming on today to discuss that matter. Thank you for what you guys do for our community of safety professionals and always taking a listen to our station here at Safety FM as you always have many options here at Safety FM to listen to our different podcasts and radio shows that are available at safetyfm.com and at safetyfm.live. Of course, you can always come to our website and take a look at the different podcasts that are available or just stream our shows live as they are occurring. Thank you for always being the best part of Safety FM, and that is the listener. This has been another episode of The Jay Allen Show, where we enjoy real safety talk. Don't worry, we'll be back with another episode of The Jay Allen Show before too long. Goodbye for now. Want more of The Jay Allen Show? Go to safetyfm.com.
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 44-0 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.